Section 3 of The Jim Crow Car, or Denouncement of Injustice Meted Out to the Black Race, by Reverend J.C. Coleman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1. Eight Years' Travel, General Observation, Inferior Accommodation, Discrimination, Imposition, Ignorance of Decency, Prejudice Occupies the Highest Seat, Christianity Silent. During eight years' travel on different railroads in the southern states, I strictly observed 1. That it is the duty of employees to see that inferior accommodations in every colored car and in every colored waiting room be arranged. This unjust measure is heretically endorsed by the white passengers of all classes. 2. That discrimination between the white and black races is designed by law and rigidly enforced on the colored passenger, and a mere sham to the white passenger. 3. That imposition upon the colored passenger in the filthiest, smoky, and inferior cars is participated in by the highest white gentleman and the lowest ignoramus hillbilly. 4 that ignorance of decency, politeness, modesty, and morality of the colored passenger is maintained. 5. That prejudice against the Negro race, regardless of characteristics, prevails in general officers, brakemen and depot agents, and in case of a lawsuit for that which is actually and properly due, it occupies the highest seat in the courtroom. 6 that a Christian minister is forced to smoke and associate with the worst of humanity by his white brother. Christianity in this respect is inconsistent with that preached and practiced in India, China, Japan, and Africa. Early Experience About one mile from the Coleman Plantation lived Mrs. Covington, commonly known as the Widow Covington. She owned about 300 acres of cultivated and uncultivated land left to her by her deceased husband. The land being valued at from $1.25 per acre to $10 per acre as most southern sage ground placed her in poor circumstances. Her surroundings put her in the estimation of her colored neighbors nothing more than poor white trash. On account of her declining condition, my father, who was extremely liberal, sent me to the widow Covington to assist her in gardening. It was a source of happiness to be away from home, and more especially to visit a white person's house for the first time. Just as I left my father's arms with a kiss and goodbye, he exclaimed, Be a good boy! As I walked along the rocky pathway, ascending and descending the lofty hills, a constant voice, so tender and penetrating, seemed to re-echo the words of my beloved father, Be a good boy. Appearing at the widow's gate, the customary salutation, Hello, was yelled out. Being told to come in, I briskly attempted to step in at the front door, when I was abruptly told, Go around the back way. This I readily did, thinking that preparations were being made to entertain the guest in the front room. I was given a seat in the kitchen, which was both kitchen and dining room, being tossed over toward the north, leaving several spaces large enough for the cook to have chicken visitors during meal hours. 
when dinner was prepared the little colored guest was left to partake of the fragments on a separate table this action being so inhuman i asked the widow why did she not ask me to the front room and before going to dinner send me to the toilet room and let all sit at one table as there was so much vacancy at her table the widow displayed no small degree of madness in her response i want you to know that you are a nigger and you must stay in a nigger's place it is to be seen from this that a black man is thought to be inferior to a white man and should for this reason be treated as such the widow's conception of a nigger's place is a mouthpiece for the entire South. You might ask, why is it that Mr. A is on board of train number three en route for New Orleans, occupying a car with all the modern accommodations, and Mr. B on the same train en route for the same place, having paid the same fare and occupying a car with split-bottomed seats? Tobacco juice and smoke have given it a new coat of painting and deathly odor. Mr. A puts his valise in Mr. B's car, smoke, whistle, dance, drink intoxicants, and then return to his pleasant, modernly furnished car. The answer would be, Mr. A is white and Mr. B is black. For this reason, the employees have assigned Mr. B to an inferior car, in order that Mr. B may remain in a nigger's place. Thirty-three years have passed since the gloomy clouds of slavery banished and made way for the Negro to see his place. In the schoolroom, in the legislature, senate, congress, ministers to republics, registry of deeds, registry of the treasury, law, doctors, ministers of the gospel, bishopric, U.S. chaplaincy, editors, authors, merchants, and industry. Now let us see why is it that a dungeon is dug for a nigger's place. Certainly the Negro has harmed no one, not any more so than the horse stolen from his master. The reason why the white man is at enmity against the black man is that the white man once owned the black man. Millions of dollars were expended on the purchase of slaves when the War of 1860 to 1865 began. The purchasers, it is claimed, had not then received one half expended on slavery. For this very cause, the Negro is regarded as worthless property. The white boy has the example of thievishness and slothfulness established by his parents. He is taught that swindling his colored brother is the way his parents came in possession of their wealth, and to work is taking the nigger's place. End of section 3